the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. It is the Nick T Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Check out all the other great podcasts at radiomisfits.com and check out our live streaming 24-7. It's like a radio station, only cooler. Turn it on anytime and we are running. Uh, unheard bands that you've never heard before. Incredible episodes of great podcasts from Radio Misfits. Radiomisfits.live. Check that out as well. Uh, I love doing this podcast. I want to thank Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits. You want to be a sponsor of this podcast? It's really easy. It's very popular. Advertise with us. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. Hey, you want to leave a voicemail for us? 24-7 at the Nick D Podcast. 773-417-6948. Anytime you want to leave a, a voicemail, we want to hear from you. Drop us an email too, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. That's the way to get a hold of us. Jason Skaggs does all the themes and the music and the weirdness and the audio. Ed Sella does all the really other, all everything else. And I want to thank you for uh, for listening to the Nick D Podcast. Coming up here on episode 166, uh, my co-host Esmeralda Leon is going to join me. We're going to talk about all the fun we had just this past weekend, and I'm still exhausted, uh, the three-day flashback weekend horror convention. It's awesome. It's exhausting. It's great. We did an unbelievably fun live podcast, and we'll tell you all about that. Esmeralda and I will talk about that and much, much more. And Dan Feinberg is joining us for his regular bi-weekly visit. He's from The Hollywood Reporter. He is from The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. He is our TV expert, and he is here to talk television, uh, uh, everything that's happening, reviews and news and all kinds of stuff. I mean, if there's any progress on the strike, we will tell you about that as well. So Dan Feinberg, for his regular TV visit, is coming in today. My dad will stop by and tell a joke because it's Tuesday, and we cannot do a Tuesday podcast without my dad knocking on the door disturbing this lovely young woman. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know you do, baby. Uh, so yeah, so my dad will stop by and tell a joke, and uh, that's all coming up on the show. So before we get to all of that, before I talk to Dan, before I talk to Esmeralda, before she comes Hi, in. I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I have to talk about a very sad piece of news that broke today as I record this. The great William Friedkin passed away. Uh, William Friedkin, uh, one of the greatest filmmakers uh, ever to ever live. Um, from Chicago, proud, born and bred Chicagoan on the north side, Chicago native, um, went on to win uh, an Oscar for the French Connection, which won Best Picture, and he would direct some amazing movies, of course, including Sorcerer, To Live and Die in L.A., and Killer Joe, and Cruising, and Hunt and the Hunted, and Blue Chips, and Deal of the Century, The Birthday Party, and of course, The Exorcist, perhaps widely considered the most terrifying film ever made. William Friedkin was one of the best American filmmakers, a true auteur, a guy with balls the size of church bells, a guy that didn't care what anybody thought, what critics thought, what the public thought. He made the movies he wanted to make. He was a true artist who lived on the edge. 
And he was a guy who made movies that were challenging and sometimes amazing and sometimes not so good, but it didn't matter because William Friedkin stood on the edge and bravely made the kind of art and the kind of films that he wanted to make Despite all the obstacles, despite all the, all the people challenging him, and despite the reception that some of his movies have received over the years, including movies like To Live and Die in L.A. and Cruising and even The Exorcist, and some of the other movies that he's made, you know, the, the, he, he, has caused, he had caused a lot of controversy with the stuff he did, but he was outspoken and he was bold and he didn't give a shit. I interviewed William Friedkin three times, and they were three of the best and most interesting interviews that I've ever done. And he really, I don't know what happened, but he really liked me. He and I got along very, very well. And I think it's because both of us, quite frankly, don't give a shit. Uh, we think what we think, and we, we, you know, we feel what we feel, and we're going to say what we say. Now, I'm not equating myself or equalizing myself with William Friedkin. But we came, we were cut from the same cloth. He is much more talented than I am and was much more uh, accomplished than I will ever be. But uh, he, you know, he was an outspoken dude and we meshed. You know, the times that I, that I interviewed, they were great. They were really great. I've got a little bit of, uh, of a time I interviewed him on that unknown radio station that still exists that shouldn't because it's terrible. But I was with this ridiculous radio station for many, many years and back when it was a really good radio station, not a shitty radio station that it is now. And so uh, when I interviewed him, uh, uh, for, for, those, for those times. They were always outspoken and funny and fierce. The guy said what he wanted to say uh, anytime, and I admired that. I admired that about any artist who's like, I'm going to make my art and fuck you if you don't get it. That's it. And that's the way William Friedkin was. And 90% of the time, the art that he didn't give a fuck whether you liked it or not or if it pissed you off, he didn't care, it was great art. And he ended up making some of the best American movies of all time. I mean, if you look at stuff like The Exorcist, To Live and Die in L.A., The French Connection, Sorcerer, if you look at uh, The Boys in the Band or Killer Joe, um, I mean, even if you get into some of the more, you know, some of the crazier stuff like Deal of the Century, The Brinks Job is a terrific movie, Cruising, um, he's done some very challenging stuff, and he is one of the best American filmmakers that ever lived. He represented a time in cinema, in the 70s especially, when there were big, bold, brass filmmakers making studio movies in the 70s that are never going to be repeated. That period of time in the 70s and into the 80s when directors would do what they wanted to do and get the backing by a studio, that doesn't exist anymore. And William Friedkin led the pack. And not only that, proud Chicago and worked at WGN in the mailroom, stayed and had connections with this city until the day he died. 87 years old, one of the greatest filmmakers that ever lived. Pay tribute to William Friedkin. I've got a couple of clips from an interview that I did with him. This interview was done 10 years ago, back in 2013. He had just written his memoir uh, called The Friedkin Connection, and he was going to appear at the very first Chicago Film Critics, uh, Chicago Critics Film Festival. And this was back when they were doing it at the Movie Co. Theater in Rosemont. And I interviewed him, and it was an hour-long interview, and it was one of three times that I interviewed him. And here's a couple of the highlights. I just want to play this, because the interviews that I did with Friedkin rank among the best interviews I've ever done and the most memorable and three of my favorite interviews. And I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and many celebrities and artists and actors and filmmakers and stuff and ranking right up near the top of any interview that I've done in the past 36, 7, 7, 8 years that I've been doing broadcasting. This guy ranked among the top, honest, pure Chicagoan and one of the greatest artists of all time. So here's him talking about To Live and Die in L.A. If you've not seen the movie, it involves counterfeit money and here's a fantastic story about how good that counterfeit money was. This is William Friedkin and I talking 10 years ago about To Live and Die in L.A., the great William Friedkin. The, no, I have to ask you about the French, or, uh, I'm sorry, about To Live and Die in L.A. Um, I, I actually have interviewed Bill uh, uh, 
Peterson a, a few times. And, um, man, you know, the details that went into making that film, showing people uh, uh, the, the, the counterfeiting, you know, the, the, the world of counterfeiting. What, did you get into any trouble? Was there, was there ever any issues about how, how detailed you got about th- that film? Yeah, there was a federal investigation. Yeah. The, uh, the uh, attorney general for California uh, called me and because uh, um, some of the bills that we printed that were printed by a master counterfeiter who uh, uh, we were able to get out of prison a little early, <laughs> he, he printed the money for us and you could pass it. You could pass that money. Yeah. And a lot of it went off the set. And uh, uh, two kids who were uh, the sons of the special effects man on the picture took some of the bills that were only printed on one side. And they went into a supermarket and and bought some soft drinks, and they got busted immediately. And uh, uh, the Fed showed up at their doorstep, and their dad led them to me, you know. And so I got the call. Uh, from uh, the state's attorney general. And uh, he said, look, uh, we'd like to talk to you. And I said, well, you know, we made this money for a movie. And he said, you can't make the money for any reason other unless you work for the federal government. And he said, that, that money's too good. And he said, well, I got to talk to you. Uh, you want to come in here? And I said, well, get a warrant and I'll come in. And he said, you're not going to play that game, are you? I said, it's not a game. You get a warrant from a federal judge, and I'll come and talk to you. Well, the warrant never came. <laughs> wow. So I, I mean, I'm talking to you, Nick, more about it than I did to the feds. <laughs> and, and they were really upset about it, I have to say. Wow. So that's uh, a piece of, uh, of the uh, interview. So that's about to live and die in L.A. And I got to talk to him a couple more times. Here's another chunk of the interview from the great, now the late, great William Friedkin. At that time, he had just written his memoir, and, it was, and it's a really terrific book. It's called The Friedkin Connection. It's a memoir about William Friedkin. You want to get into his mind and about how he works and how he writes. Uh, and I asked him about uh, the writing of the book. The Friedkin Connection is the name of the book. Why did you write the book now, Bill? Well, about three years ago, I got a call out of the blue from this book agent who I didn't know. His name is Richard Pine. He runs a company called Inkwell Management. He, I don't know how he got my phone number. Uh, I think <laughs> from a mutual friend of my wife's. Okay. We never talked about it. But he called me out of the blue and he said, would you be interested in writing a memoir? And I said, no. And he said, well, why not? And I said, because I wouldn't be interested in reading it. <laughs> and And he said, well, what if I told you I had five of the leading publishers in the country who would like to publish your memoirs if you'll write them? I said, well, that would get my interest. So I went back to New York and met with these five heads of these companies. And um, a guy named Jonathan Burnham, who is the publisher of HarperCollins, gave me an insight into how I might write this book. And he said... Don't just write a book where you say this happened, this happened, and this happened. Write about how you felt about everything that you think is important that happened to you. And that was the key that opened the lock for Mm -hmm. me, Nick. Mm -hmm. And I wrote the book. It took me three years writing every day in longhand. I wrote the book in longhand in these moleskin books. Mm. And, And then I would send maybe 50 pages at a time 
to my editor at HarperCollins, and uh, we would polish it, and eventually I found a way to tie it all together. But I'd start writing about Chicago. Things would come to me, and then my mind, my memory would close up. I'd write about something else, and then something would trigger off Chicago again. So I didn't write it from beginning to end. I wrote it at places that just um, uh, inspired me, and things would come to me that I hadn't thought about for many years. Yeah. And uh, the, that's the book. Um, I, I think it holds together well. The early reviews have been great, and um, I, I'm pleased with it. I'm well, glad I did it. So uh, that's his memoir, and if you want to check it out, it's called The Friedkin Connection. It's definitely a, a great a great book. Um, William Friedman, uh, Friedkin uh, also uh, made a great film in 2013, 2012, and it was one of my favorite movies of that year. It was an adaptation of a play by Tracy Letts, a Chicago playwright actor who I knew back in the day, in the early days of uh, doing theater, and now he's a Pulitzer Prize winner. I, I, can, I can honestly say he's the, the only Pulitzer Prize winner that I've uh, ever played poker with. Uh, so that, there's that. But he adapted this for the, he adapted, uh, or William Tracy Letts' first uh, first uh, play, uh, Bug, to the theater, to the book, uh, to the screen, and then he did Killer Joe. And Killer Joe is one of my favorite movies, featuring one of my favorite performances by uh, Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. And uh, when I talked to Bill Friedkin, uh, Bill, back in that uh, on that during that interview, we mentioned Killer Joe. I just want to say again, Killer Joe, uh, that the the casting, I think the casting in that movie, the acting was was so great. And uh, some of it was so, so funny. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church destroyed me uh, in, in the film. Uh, Gina Gershon, one of the f- most fearless performances I've seen in years. And the casting of Matthew McConaughey was pure genius for that role. Well, I appreciate that. I had never seen any of those romantic comedies that he's become successful for. Yeah. I met him. I just met him. He was at first... When he read the script, he threw it across the room <laughs> to a trash basket. And then some friends of his said, hey, wait, you better read this again. You will understand this, and it's funny. Yeah. And so he read it again, and I got a call from his agent. He wanted to meet about it. I went to meet him. I liked him. And I said, okay, let's do it. Yeah. He was the guy again. Yeah. It- Look, when I say that about Jason Miller and now McConaughey, and I say he's the guy you know what that means, Nick? Yeah. It means I don't have to direct. <laughs> I just when you hire the guy, you, that's it. You've nailed it. Yeah. And yeah. conversely, if you miscast something, it's never going to work, no matter what you do, no matter how brilliant the direction or the script. If it's miscast, it's going to lame out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you did. It. I mean, I loved it. I think that movie. And again, the last 15 minutes of that movie. And then the final punchline with the Clarence Clemens song. I, I thought I was going to pee my pants. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, you know, I talked to Clarence Clemens uh, a few times before he did he let us use the song. I spoke to his wife uh-huh. and she and she says, you know, I call him C.C. And I said, well, I'm not surprised because his name is Clarence Clemens. She said, no, I don't call him CC because of that. I call him CC because of climax control. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's- oh, man. So there. <laughs> 
I love that story. All right. Anyway, that's just uh, three clips from one of the interviews that I did with William Friedkin. Um, I met him uh, face to face uh, once uh, and then interviewed him uh, three times. He was an amazing guy and one of the greatest American directors of all time. Uh, and, you know, made some classic films. Um, you go back and look at The Exorcist and To Live and Die in L.A. and The French Connection and, For and, and Sorcerer and Killer Joe. And uh, even some of his crazier movies like Rampage and The Guardian and Jade are worth watching just because of the balls out, uh, just brazen quality and unbelievable fierce talent that that guy had. I loved William Friedkin. I loved meeting him. I loved interviewing him. He actually uh, said some very kind things about me. Um, and, uh, and I got to know him a little bit and it was amazing. So, uh, one of the best f American filmmakers ever, certainly one of the most, uh, original and brazen and most memorable, uh, has passed away. 87 years old, William Friedkin, the director of some of the best American movies of all time has passed away. And I just wanted to pay quick tribute to him by, uh, playing back, um, some interview, a portion of the interview, one of the interviews that I did over at uh, WGN. And that actually, if you follow me on Facebook or on social media, I did post the full interview. So the interview is about 40 minutes long. Uh, it's not that, it's not the entire uncut interview, but there's about 40 minutes of it. And if you follow me on uh, Facebook, it's been posted on there. So anyway, the great William Friedkin had passed away and I could not go uh, without doing at least a little bit of a tribute to the great William Friedkin. So rent those movies and remember one of the great and most original American filmmakers of all time. So anyway, all right, let's get on with the show. Uh, Dan Fe Feinberg is going to join us, and I'm sure we're going to talk about William Friedkin with him as well. But Dan Feinberg's going to join us after I tell you that you need to be congratulated. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh, yeah. Don't be a jaggle. somewhere else which would be LA Dan Feinberg is uh, our regular TV guy here TV critic and writer for the Hollywood Reporter and you can also check him out at the fine print f-i-e-n the fine print.com and it's Dan Feinberg hello Dan what up Nick how are you sir just keeping busy keeping busy 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 <laughs> all right uh, well before we get into a lot of the stuff that you've reviewed and talked about in the fine print um, and uh, some of the other things. We do have a couple of people that we need to eulogize, which seems like something we have to say almost every other day. Uh, uh, you know, uh, they certainly, when we when we chat every couple weeks, it means that people do accumulate, and sometimes yeah. they're legends, and, and we got a couple big ones this week, A couple to of be big sure. ones this week, and over the past, like, month, I'm, uh, you know, Sinead O'Connor. Um, uh, I mean, you know, if you're, a, if you're a sort of a film, a big film fan, and you enjoy the writing of movies, Bo Goldman died. Um... Uh, the same day as Sinead O'Connor, or it was announced the same day as Sinead O'Connor. And Bo Goldman has written some of the most amazing, one of the best screenwriters ever. And he wrote one of my favorite, he wrote Shoot the Moon, which is one of my favorite movies ever of all time. And um, yeah. 
mostly I, I feel like I've been discovering more and more just how, and this is obviously something that anyone who is present in the streaming universe knows, is is just how bad the streaming world at this world at this point is for legacy titles. Uh, so when Bo Goldman died. You know, at this exact moment, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest isn't streaming anywhere. Uh, several of the people we're going to talk about on this very conversation, most yeah. of their biggest films are currently unavailable. So once again, and can't be said enough, hold on to that physical media because you don't want to pretend that you don't need it. Yeah, that's true. I agree. I totally agree. Well, that's sad. I mean, you can't get... How can you not... How are they not streaming One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? It, it's one of those things where it... Uh, you know, definitely has been streaming, I would say, in the fairly recent past, and I assume it will come back again. It just happens that these things go around in rights cycles, and it's the unfortunate situation where, I don't know where, and we're going to talk about this in a couple seconds, where Paul Rubens dies and Pee-wee's Big Adventure is not streaming anywhere regular, or where, and we're going to talk about this in a couple seconds, where Billy Friedkin dies, and all three of what I consider to be his biggest titles are not at this exact moment streaming on a streaming service. They're all available. Is that for, right? At, at this moment, you cannot stream, I, I don't think, and people can obviously, can and should obviously check this. At this moment, you can't stream French Connection, The Exorcist, or To Live and Die in LA. Oh None of them God. are currently available. Oh my God. Well, I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the triad right there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm sorry. You know, and, and let me assure you, you can absolutely uh, stream Rules of Engagement <laughs> and The Hunted and a few other movies roughly in that vein. But, the but you know, yeah. you can't, and again, we'll talk about this, you can't stream Sorcerer at this moment. I don't think Cruising is available, which yeah. in my particular case, totally fine with that. Doesn't impact how I would tell anyone to honor Billy Friedkin. Oh, okay. But but it's, <laughs> are, are we, is, is the rest I'm, of this conversation going to be no. a fight about Cruising? No, That's going to be really I'm unfortunate. Actually, I'm actually I'm actually a big fan of that movie, but uh, you are, you're not you're not the only one. I believe whatever the pendulum is, it has it has crossed over. And um, but I even on a day when we are remembering and honoring Billy Friedkin, I am not going to change my opinion on I, cruising. I wouldn't expect I wouldn't expect anybody who hated that movie to change their mind simply because William Friedkin passed away. I wouldn't expect anybody to. But I've I've been a fan of that movie. I've been defending that movie since 1980. <laughs> I'm that, not kidding. That would be a really great T-shirt for you to <laughs> Nick DiGilio defending <laughs> cruising since 1980. Well, let's specify the movie, <laughs> the movie cruising, the movie. Since well, I, yeah. I mean, look, you were going to have a picture of Al Pacino in leather on the shirt, right. regardless, so exactly. people could jump to whatever conclusion okay. they want. I'm fine to. with either of them. That's fine. Uh, but no, anyway. Well, that's crazy though. That uh, that those, especially the, the the first three films that you mentioned are. Yeah. Well, since we're it talking is, about it, it's let's... a it's a bad state of affairs in the streaming universe at this moment. So. Well, then let's talk about those two people that we sure. that, that you just mentioned first. I mean, you wrote a piece about Paul Rubens, and and this is more connected to to television. Although William Friedkin did do an amazing made for Showtime version of. Uh, 12 Angry Men. He did. And he, he did. and he did do TV. He has directed uh, episodic television in the past. But let's let let's first talk to uh let's let's talk about Paul Rubens. I mean, uh, you start, man. Just uh yeah. <laughs> just, it's just one of those things where when somebody's persona is so invested in being this ageless figure, Pee-wee Herman of course, the idea of processing that Paul Rubens was 70 was already a strange enough thing to attempt to process cuz even when he had the the Pee-wee Herman comeback a handful of years ago, 
he basically was Pee Wee Herman, yeah. and it wasn't as if suddenly Pee Wee Herman had gotten old. Uh, so I think we all kind of had this perception that whatever Paul Rubens was, it was it was trapped in amber, and uh, and yeah, just just very very sad because we're now into multiple generations that have experienced Pee Wee Herman as a child and found that to be either a formative or a warping experience and then have aged and gradually come to appreciate it in different ways on different levels have sort of gone from the oh it's for kids to oh it's for stoners to oh it's for grown-ups who were once kids and once stoners and and that's the the timeless thing about Paul Rubin and about Pee Wee Herman, and that's before you take a step back and and go to, my goodness, he was great in Batman Returns, or uh, my gracious, he was great in Mystery Men, or or all of the various Buffy. really Buffy. or Buffy the Vampire Slayer, or yeah. all of the really good character stuff that I think probably end of the day didn't get as much credit as it deserved to, because it was always just a, oh, look, it's it's Paul Rubens, he's kind of being Pee-wee, but oh, look, he's not being Pee-wee. But it was always couched in the, this is a performer who we can only think of as one thing, as opposed to if he had just been allowed to be this wonderfully bizarre character actor which i think is probably what he always was at his heart so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and i you know um i i was i was happy to see that a lot of people mentioned his performance in blow um which i think he's fantastic in a movie that's very flawed but i think he's really great in that and it oh was he's nice absolutely he's, he's absolutely the best part of blow i, I don't agree. think there's any question about that at all yeah. uh and but i think there are a lot of movies where he popped up and he did that but he also could be wonderfully valuable in in great things uh you know i've been talking about his his 30 rock um oh season one God. episode because <laughs> and i keep saying this over and over again i was convinced that he had at the very least been nominated for an emmy and even possibly won an emmy and he wasn't even nominated and Which that is, to me is is crazy it's completely crazy i mean that that episode is unbelievably funny and he's amazing in it um it, it is truly one of the most crazily committed performances that one in particular that i can think of like if i were to tell someone here's an example of someone going absolutely bonkers and somehow being able to do it on a broadcast tv comedy uh i i would point to that as about how far you can push the line in primetime broadcast tv yeah yeah, no, w without question. And the, and the character was so bizarre and so crazy and all the physical stuff that he was doing. And just the, the episode itself was just, it's one of the weirdest and craziest episodes of 30 Rock ever. Um, and I, yeah, like you, like when I, because I, I read your piece about it. Uh, I read your post and I was like, he didn't get nominated for that? How is that I was, possible? I was astounded. It, it makes no sense, but sometimes the Emmys are dumb. Yeah, <laughs> that's just as we discovered. And by the way, uh, really quickly, they have been postponed, have they not, the Emmys? Have they been formally? I feel like everything keeps slipping through the cracks these days, news-wise, because social media is such a, a nightmare. Uh, have Have they been formally moved? I, I know. That uh, yeah, I think I, I think they have been formally. Uh, I think they have, or at least I read somewhere. Uh, it's it's well, the last few days have been very blurry for me because I was at the flashback convention. But I, I'm pretty sure that I read that they have been formally uh, um, uh, if they haven't it's entirely just a a formality that they haven't so right. so there's that but yeah I, I don't know that I'd heard that they had been formally postponed but uh let's see yeah it looks like looks like they must have been and so yeah I guess we're just determining if if well at this point 
they can't happen. And so any any put place you would put a placeholder would just be crossing your fingers and hoping that Hollywood is back to business by yeah. be it November or January or whatever. So yeah. I hope it is. Okay. All right, your thoughts on Pee Wee. Your personal, or and not just Pee Wee, but Paul Rubens. But I mean, was your first exposure to Paul Rubens Pee Wee? Obviously. Oh, yes. absolutely. Uh, Pee Wee's yeah. Big Adventure. Uh, Easily and and certainly was my first experience and you know I I, I loved the movie as, as a child I definitely found the TV show to be uh, too strange or to be too oh you did, you did. oh yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. As, <laughs> you know I wasn't I I was probably in exactly the wrong age like I, I think I probably must have been ten which is probably just too old to appreciate it on one level and just too young to appreciate it on the next so I never exactly knew what to say or what to do about it and yeah. that didn't mean that I didn't appreciate just and, and it's another thing it's a little bit like his performance on 30 Rock it's how on earth did anybody let him get away with this it is it is such a crazy show and um, and and when I've gone back and watched little bits, I definitely appreciate it on different levels now. I think the great thing about Pee Wee's Big Adventure is just how many levels it it always worked on, and, and yeah. whatever age you are, it, yeah. it plays perfectly. It is a hilarious comedy. The large Marge scene is is absolutely harrowing, and and also so very Tim Burtony. Yeah. Um, it's it's just a such a a great blending of those two sensibilities and. Uh, and yeah, and then and then subsequently, obviously, um, all of all of the charactery type stuff, and then of course there was his his wave of of whatever one wants to say. Um, he was canceled early, long yeah. before we were doing that, and probably not for any particular justifiable reason. No, absolutely <laughs> not. I just remember uh, I remember the triumphant return of Paul Rubens at the MTV uh, Video Music Awards in 1991 and this was after seven months of non-stop like t-shirts of his mugshot being sold and all this other shit and everybody like and that was it and like everybody's like his career is ruined of course he's never going to go back to to morning children's television after this but when he walked out in the peewee costume um i'll never forget this uh, to this incredible overwhelming wave of applause and cheers that went on this ovation that went on for you know minutes and he just, I remember, he just stood there with his, you know, his arms out. He, he was, he stood there like Kate Winslet on the end of uh, Titanic um, with his head back and his arms out, just soaking it all in. And then his first line, do you remember his first line? After, remind me. Okay. So it's the, so his big comeback or whatever, he hadn't been seen in public and, you know, shamed and blah, blah, blah. He shows up at the MTV Video Music Awards. I think it was the MTV Video Music Awards. Yeah. Not the movie awards, the, the video awards. He comes out, gets this incredible wave. He's standing there, and he takes it all in this ovation on live television. He goes, "Heard any, heard any good jokes yes. lately?" That was yes. different. That was <laughs> exact. Yes, now I absolutely remember. Right. <laughs> so, uh, and I was, I, you know, I was so happy that that happened. And then, you know, obviously he got over that. And then there was the whole like he's an art collector, and what happened with that? That got weird. And here's a, here's the a thing uh, that. Uh, we can talk about the television related. Um, I, you know, I know that he played Amy's in one episode of Everybody Loves Raymond. He played Amy's brother, who would eventually that role would be taken over by Chris Elliott, and very funny as that part by Chris Elliott. But that episode where he played Amy's brother, uh, that one episode, he's brilliant on it. It's brilliant, and it's completely different than what Chris Elliott did. 
And and if I'm not mistaken, he didn't get the the return gig because of the controversy over his art collection or the child pornography thing that was weirdly happening at that time. Is that am I am I right on that? I I will take your word on that because I was definitely not a regular Everybody Loves Raymond fan, uh, viewer, and so it's entirely possible I've never even seen that episode. So. Oh, you should, you should. I mean, I'm not a regular. I didn't really discover. You know, I was late to the game on Everybody Loves Raymond. I didn't discover Everybody Loves Raymond until literally like three years ago. Like right before COVID, I'm not kidding. And now I know I I love it. <laughs> I love that. I love that show. And uh, and one of the reasons I, I think Patricia Heaton is the is the VIP of that show, quite frankly. Um, so I watch it now regularly. And then like I sh- when he showed up, I was like, oh my god. And then <laughs> then you know like when that when that character became a semi regular, it was taken over by Chris Elliott. Uh, but that one episode where Pee Wee or uh, Paul Rubens plays him, it's a it's incredible and so different. The choices that he made were weirder and i think i don't know they were obviously a little bit more subversive and much funnier than what chris elliott did which was just surface level stuff and he was fine he was chris elliott he was funny but what but what paul rubens did with that part was much more interesting um and I, say, I, I not get, like not like chris elliott is a stranger to being oh, no. subversive <laughs> in a, no of in course a... not of course not no of course not i love i mean i love chris elliott you know uh, but but yeah i mean but his if you ever get go back and watch that one episode where he plays amy's brother uh the comic store owner um and Ray has to go to him to get, uh, a, a, you know, he has to buy like a trading card that I guess he threw away or something, one of his kids' trading cards, and he has to go and get it. And that's the very first time you see that character. And Paul Rubens is the, and he's great. He's <laughs> really, really great. So perhaps I will seek that out. Yeah, you should. It's only 22 minutes, for God's sake. Yeah, I think you can <laughs> squeeze story. that one in. But anyway, uh, so, so, but now Pee Wee's Playhouse, as you said, you were, you, when you were young, it freaked you out. Now, I was in my 20s, I was in my early 20s. And this was the this was the the routine for my my my, my late buddy Joe Donatello who passed away about uh, twelve years ago. Um, he was obsessed with Pee Wee Herman, obsessed, and uh, probably saw Pee Wee's Big Adventure. We probably saw Pee Wee's Big Adventure at the theater, and then you know we went to drive-ins a lot back in the eighties as well. We probably saw that movie fifty times in the theater and at the drive-in. I mean, it was ridiculous because of course it's a perfect movie. Um, <laughs> And when, when Pee-wee's Playhouse started, he would tape it every Saturday morning on VHS, and every Saturday night before we went out or went out and socialized, we would immediately go to Joe's house every Saturday night and watch it. That was, a, that was an absolute thing that we did every week. Um, so, but you were too... Now, when you started to watch it and when it didn't freak you out, what are your thoughts on, how, what are your thoughts on that show in general, just as a piece of television? I just think that it... Um, and I said this in my, in my tribute, that it either functions as a subversion of children's television or as the thing itself, but remarkably it does both at the same time. Yeah. And, and that is what I find fascinating is that is absolutely, you know, if you know the conventions of the genre, if you've watched Mr. Rogers neighborhood or whatever, you know, you, whatever you're equipped, Captain Kangaroo, et cetera, it totally plays as a warped funhouse mirror version of that. On the other hand, there he is. He's, He's teaching roughly the same lessons about being yourself and all of that as as most of those shows did. He's he's got the structure that very much shows how much he loved the genre. He's got all of the recurring guests and the puppeteering and all of that. So it, so no matter how you want to look at it, 
it's the thing you want it to be. Whether you want it to be a postmodern reflection of the thing, whether you want it to actually be for kids, it's it's that. And I think it works so well for that. And, and it's only later down the road that you go, oh my God, that was Larry Fishburne. Yeah. Or, you know, which certainly... Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman, Phil Hartman yeah. which yeah. certainly in 19... 19- 87 10 year old Dan had no way of knowing, yeah. you know, it wasn't like I just watched uh, Apocalypse Now. Right. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I, I know him from that. That's the guy from Apocalypse Now. Ex- yeah, <laughs> exactly. I was I was not that mature as a right. viewer, right. but certainly now all of that stuff plays completely, at, you know, it's it's whatever you put into it, you get out of it. And I think that that's a sign of a very, very good yeah. and very special show. I think it's one of the greatest television shows of all time. I really do. And I think it works on every level. How, whatever you want it to be, that's what it is. I, It's a magic. I think it's just a magical show. Uh, it yeah, it is. Level. And I, speaking of know. things that are unavailable to stream at this exact yeah. moment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Playhouse. I got, that's, I, got, I got the whole, I got them all on DVD. I don't care. <laughs> I got them all. I got it all. Um, I do want to mention that my first exposure to Paul Rubens was the Cheech and Chong movies. Um, <laughs> and I remember specifically... Absolutely, specifically, him in Cheech and Chong's next movie, um, and because I'm, a, I was a big Cheech, I'm still a big Cheech and Chong fan, and I, and I, I, the movies are terrible, and I love all of them. Uh, <laughs> but I remember when I saw Cheech and I was, high, I was in high school, uh, and I saw Cheech and Chong's next movie, and here's the, here's a weird little thing. You, do you remember Cheech and Chong's next movie at all, Dan? I assure you, I do not remember <laughs> Cheech and Chong's next movie, Nick. One hundred percent, I do not. <laughs> I'm going to give you a little piece of trivia here that kind of connects things, okay? Perfect. Because in Cheech and Chong's next movie, he plays a bellhop in a hotel behind a counter. Um, so I there's a wonderful, you know, full circle thing there because of the ending of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Plaging Mr. Herman, that that whole thing. He He's a bellhop in... in, in and I, I remember seeing... Uh, next movie and just like my god that guy who played the bellhop is hilarious and he was weird and you know he only had like a a, a little bit of a part because because um you know uh, uh i guess chichin chong knew him from the groundlings um and that's you know they, they threw they had a whole bunch of people from you know like la comedy scene in those movies and just allowed them to do whatever they wanted to do <laughs> clearly and so they had him in there because he was a member of the Groundlings, and uh, they had him play this bellhop in Cheech and Chong's next movie, and he was hilarious. And I remember going, who is that guy? And then he shows up in the next one. He shows up in Nice Dreams as the hamburger dude. Um, and, <laughs> and he does the peewee voice in it. He's like, I'm sorry I took the money. He has this whole thing about where he steals money from them. <laughs> I'm not sorry I took the money. <laughs> and he runs out. Um, and it's this whole thing where he does the Pee Wee voice, but not as Pee Wee Herman. He's playing the hamburger dude. And those were the first two things I remember uh, seeing him in were these small parts that he had in the Cheech and Chong movies. And then I saw the HBO Pee Wee special. And then I went, okay, this guy, <laughs> what is this? So I, I, I guess without being someone from L.A. who knew the Groundlings – I, I learned of him through those small parts in Cheech and Chong, so I saw the very first Pee Wee Herman show, which is completely inappropriate for children. You've, I'm sure you've seen it, the HBO. And, and it is available right yeah, now on that. that. That's available, there, yeah. There's just no logic to what is actually accessible in this moment, but, right. it, but the Pee Wee Herman show, the, the slightly under an hour special, yep. is available on Max right now. And I think you could probably get nice streams, and you, can pro- you could probably get next movie, but you can't get it. 
Pee-wee's Playhouse or Pee-wee's Big Adventure. But it's, oh no, and you can also get and you can also get Big Top Pee-wee, and you oh can't God. get Pee-wee's oh, Big Adventure. Oh, the worst one. Exactly. Worst it one. is. <laughs> it is. It is not. A, it is not. A and good I'm state of and affairs. I'm assuming his last one, the one he made for Netflix, is probably on Netflix, right? Uh, yes, it okay. is. It is available. On which is actually good. I actually like that one. I think that's that. That was much better than Big Top. Um, well, if okay, if, if that if that yeah, is well, the <laughs> threshold that we are setting, then yes, I completely agree. It is also, however, not as good as Big Adventure. So if well, you want to, if are, you put it on the continuum, yeah. But there are. Uh, but to be to be fair, there aren't many things that are as good as Pee Wee's Big Adventure in the world. I, <laughs> No, I I am inclined to I'm look I don't I don't love the perfection assessment, but I do think that probably Pee Wee's Big Adventure achieves everything it wants to entirely, and so Absolutely. on that level, I do kind of agree that it might not be the best movie ever made, but is it probably a perfect movie for what it's trying to be? I, I think it probably is. Yeah. So and, and and for me, you know, like I'm a, I am I am a big Tim Burton fan. I think we talked about this before. I would also say that I'm a Tim Burton apologist because I like the stuff that everybody hates. Not every, uh, not every, like I don't like uh, 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 the, what was the, the Dumbo thing. I thought Dumbo was terrible. <laughs> oh, um, I, I skipped that one because I like the uh, animated movie too much to go anywhere near oh, that one. <laughs> you're a smart man. It was it was horrible. And I, but I've like I defend stuff like Sweeney Todd, and I defend stuff like. Uh, like, uh, 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 God, I'm so I defend mad. Mrs. P- I defend Mrs. Peregrims, and no one. I do too. That one. I do. Okay. No, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I can't do Planet of the Apes. I cannot defend Planet of the Apes. No, it's it's um, horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. And I, you know, like, I, but I mean, like, well, I, I say I defend Big Fish, but that's a, like, I think a lot of people love that movie. Yeah, Big Fish uh, is, has the the a little bit like a bit a little bit like Cruising because they're basically the same movie. Uh, <laughs> the pendulum on Big Fish has definitely swung. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, but no, but anyway, I'm a, I'm an apologist for 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 Tim Burton. I I, I I know that I've defended a lot of his movies, and so, uh, but that to me, when 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 Pee Wee's Big Adventure came out, it was the announcement of a major filmmaking talent, and of course, that character. You know, like and it, it was, and you mentioned like the two of those things combined for like uh, just an amazing piece of entertainment, um, and and the announcement of two major talents working together. So. Absolutely, and I'd tell people to stream it, but they can't. They can't. All right. Uh, all right, so uh, William Friedkin, uh, the news is fresh as we, as we record this. Um, and I was lucky enough to have interviewed him uh, three times and, nice. um, and, and uh, met him once in person. Uh, and I, I love William Friedkin. And, I, you know, I mean, I know that, the, that, this, this, that like, he's, you know, he's made some movies that are terrible and he's had like an up and down career. But like this, some of the, when he was on a roll, there was nothing. I mean, he was one of the most major talents. And I, the thing that I loved about him was that he was not apologetic about anything. And I loved listening to him talk. And the times I interviewed him, he was just ballsy and nuts and he didn't care. And I loved him. Your, your thoughts on William Friedkin? Uh, abs- well, absolutely one of the best interviews on earth. You can just go on wherever youtube or wherever and watch interviews with billy friedkin and always the guy came through and there are also multiple documentaries that he was focal in and so you know listening to him talk about the thing he did (laughs) spectacular but honestly if if the guy had only ever made the french connection and the exorcist that would be a spectacular career you you know and to have made those two movies back to back and also you know but like in the same period to have made 
the night they raided Minsky's, which you can actually watch on uh, Pluto's for what Pluto TV rather for whatever reason. But mm -hmm. it's a good little movie. You know, you can see talent yeah. in that. Uh, the boys in the band, which was very important at that particular moment. No, yep. you can't watch that currently because why would you be able to? Um, but yeah, so. Uh, the French Connection and The Exorcist are just such spectacular movies that even if one could go through a list of things that are that, of movies he's made that have been just awful, and even if the world has sort of tried reclaiming a lot of his later movies, I don't think anyone out there is trying to reclaim Rules of Engagement or The Hunted no. or, or Jade or Jade, or, Jade. <laughs> or Rampage. Rampage, I think, is the worst movie he's ever made. Or Rampage, uh, The Guardian. Um, <laughs> no, he made a lot of yeah, the Babysitter's a Tree. <laughs> I haven't watched I haven't watched Deal of the Century in a long time, but I remember thinking Deal of the Century was just horrible. Also, that it it's, was just not a successful piece of comedy filmmaking. It is. It's it's an interesting film. It's not good, but it's an interesting film because, I, in addition to like Friedkin being the director, Paul Brickman wrote that movie, and it came out literally about a month after Risky Business, and uh, which, by the way, celebrated its 40th anniversary on Saturday. Um, it's my second favorite movie of all time, and. I remember going to see Deal of the Century and uh, beforehand reading that Paul Brickman wrote it. And I was really excited because I was still high from seeing, you know, Risky Business. And then I saw the movie and I was like, what the hell is going on here? But then, of course, Paul Brickman was, you know, not happy about the movie and about what Friedkin did with it. And But first of all, the, the worst, ca I mean, the casting of Chevy Chase in that movie is so wrong. It's, I mean, it's the worst, the worst possible guy in the world to play that part, so... But, but but so but leaving that out, uh, yeah, French Connection and, and The Exorcist are two classics that that haven't aged a day. Um, to live and die in L.A. is is such a great snapshot of the city of a particular type. It is it is definitely one of the ten best L.A. movies oh, ever yeah. made. And 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 it and it ha to me it has a lot of flaws. But but the thing but the mood it sets. It's yeah. set so spectacularly. And, and uh, you know, even a movie like Cruising that I think is horrible, I think it absolutely sets a mood, uh, sets a mood yeah. and sets a particular moment in time. Absolutely. Um, I'm disappointed that currently there is not a good version of Sorcerer because I have never seen Sorcerer, and that's one where, that's a, that, that's wait, one where we, the pendulum swung a long time ago. Wait, it, wait, so. wait, wait, wait. You haven't seen Sorcerer? I have not seen Sorcerer. I've, oh seen, Wages of, I've seen Wages of the Fear 20 times or something. Oh, and it's, my God. Oh, Sorcerer is so good, Dan. It's so good. <laughs> I don't like that's that's the thing. When I was very young, it, there was the perception that it was that it was a horrible disaster and never to be seen. But I definitely feel like we were into twenty five to thirty years of just everybody accepting it as a stone cold classic, and yet yeah. for some reason, um, its visibility hasn't been enhanced and so it's just never been it's never been where i've been at the time that i yeah. wanted to watch it yeah well no i mean that you're absolutely right about about its uh, you know about its reputation and also i mean like uh, i didn't know what when i when i when that movie came out in what 77 i was 12 when that thing came out i didn't know what wages of fear was yet you know i was a, i was a, i was a few years away from learning about wages of fear and i loved it i thought it was great and then i saw wages of fear and i was like oh wow he had a lot of balls remaking this movie remaking this movie but that's indicative of the kind of stuff that Freed can do that he would do is something like that but no it's great I think Sorcerer is great but yeah no he's just what yeah he, he's he's got whatever that handful is and whatever you want to include in that handful he, he's got a handful that makes him yeah. eternally significant and then his presence as 
uh, a spectacular raconteur will yeah. always assist his uh, no persona question. going forward. What do you what do you think of Killer Joe and Bug, his two Tracy Letts movies? Uh, um, I need to read. I let's see. Bug worked for me somewhat, but mm-hmm. I was not fully. Yeah. enamored of it and killer joe didn't work for me at all but i think it may have been a moment in time because okay. yeah all right all right I, I i i rank killer joe in his top five movies huh. okay <laughs> i do I, I love killer joe and and i saw the original production because tracy let's wrote it and he's from here and i saw the original production that they did in the shoebox theater out in evanston illinois with this, you know the house of 40 and i was there in 1993 when it opened and i hated it I didn't like huh. it at all. And they were playing it really, really straight. This company, the, the original company, was playing it very, very straight. Friedkin made a comedy out of it, which is what it's supposed to be. And, and I laughed my ass. It's, it's disgusting and repulsive and offensive, and I laughed my ass off during the whole thing. Um, so I love Killer Joe. I love it. Um, I, I probably need to go back and rewatch it. And, and Bug, I think with Bug, I mostly thought it was better than The Hunted. And I think that's mostly what I remember <laughs> thinking at the time right. is, is that, yeah. is that the, right. the, one, the, the three movie punch of Jade's Rules of Engagement and The yeah. Hunted was so yeah. bad I that I remember thinking Bug was good because it was right. better than that. Yeah. But I haven't watched it certainly it's, since it came out. Yeah, I would. I, if I were you, I would. I, I, I'm just. My my opinion is that you should watch Killer Joe before you watch Bug. Um, okay, it's much more interesting. Uh, and but I will say this about the Hunted: there's a great knife fight scene in it. A great knife fight. There, scene. there, there, there <laughs> is. And I, and I mean, of course, anyone who's seen it knows that because it's not a particularly memorable moment otherwise. But there, I mean, movie otherwise, there's absolutely a very visceral knife fight no question yes. yeah uh but it's, it's not worth seeing because of no that, I will say. no well and let's yet, talk about easily since, available since yeah, of course since since it's tv and we are talking tv his version of 12 angry men with that incredible cast unbelievable cast is one of my i i love that version i think it's great your thoughts on that it's just a, as you say, it's just a an amazing cast, and that's and that's what it is. That's the reason why you would. Uh, that's the reason why you'd watch it. It's not it, like I think it respected how intentionally claustrophobic the piece is, and, and I think that that's probably fairly important. And you can't you can't open it up any more than it is apparently. Uh, but no, you you would you would watch it because it's basically. Every performance is as good as those respective people have have been, and so you get to be like, "Oh my God, Jack Lemmon, George C. Scott, uh, who else was in it?" There were so many people in it. It was it was just an amazing cat. Yeah. James Gandolfini, mm-hmm. um, and I think that one actually is available streaming somewhere. And that was a Showtime uh, that was made for Showtime, if I remember correctly. It was, uh, uh, let's see, it I'm is almost positive it was made for Showtime. Yeah. It was, but it's currently available on Tubi, is where it okay. is. But it, okay. so it it exists, and no, it's you know it's a it's a great actor's piece, and it's a reminder that the source material is a really sturdy piece of source material. Whether yeah. it's the original movie, whether it's this, or whether it's the Amy Schumer uh, episode that was making fun of it, right. so <laughs> right, which was also a it, very good episode of TV. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, I think Friedkin directed one or two of the late 80s Twilight Zone, um, the reboot of Twilight Zone from the late 80s. I think Friedkin directed at least, I think he did one or two of those. I feel like he must have because I feel like that would be the kind of thing he would have done, but I yeah. can't. I can't, I, this is off the top of my head and I didn't, I, I didn't do any actual research. <laughs> I'm just talking out loud. So I might be talking out of my ass, but I'm almost positive he did at least one of the Twilight Zone that 
re- that reboot thing that the uh, uh, t- he, let's see. It looks like he did an episode of Tales from the Crypt. The Tales, Tales from the okay. Crypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe that's what I'm, I'm getting confused. I knew it was one episodic horror. Or no, he also directed a 1985 episode of, of the Twilight Zone. Now, was uh, did but, it, it, but only one. So, did, did, what's the title of it? Does it say? I'm sorry. Well, it's, I mean, it's bound to say somewhere. I'm just, okay. I'm just on IMDb. Uh, okay, let's see. It was um, he directed the Nightcrawlers segment yes. of the season one episode. Okay, uh, yes, he did, and that I believe takes place in a diner, and it's terrifying. Uh, that's that's the huh. one that I was thinking of. It's it is it's really really scary and really good and one of the most intense and crazy episodes of that reboot ever and it all takes place in like a diner and it's really scary it's really scary that's the one nightcrawlers yeah so and i don't know if that's available but (laughs) if you can get that anywhere but um but yeah i mean um yeah friedkin and also you know uh just the chicago connection uh he started out in the mailroom at the radio station I worked at for 37 years uh, at huh. WGN. He was the he was he worked in the mailroom at WGN. That's how that's kind of how he got his start. Um, so and lifelong Chicago and lived on the north side here. And uh, any every time I interviewed him, he was thrilled to be talking to someone from Chicago. And like a third of the interview would be him talking about how much he missed Chicago. <laughs> so it was always nice to talk to a guy who really still loved this city and represented it well. So. Indeed. Definitely talented. Definitely yeah. wish it was easier to find some of the great stuff. Yeah, that sucks. Okay, well, Paul Rubens and uh, and and uh, William Friedkin, good luck finding the good stuff because you won't be able to. <laughs> if you pay, if you pay a few bucks, it's all available. It's just if yeah. you don't want to pay a few bucks, which right is what it is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, some of the stuff that you've been writing about uh, only murders in the building. Wow, huh? Cast they they got a few people. They got people, a, they, they got they just got a few people, a few more people for that show, didn't they? People want to be on the show, uh, and when why would you not? It's a it's a good vehicle, it's a fun vehicle. You get to you get to be goofy, you get to hang out in New York if it happens to be a place that you happen to be. So, so yeah. So this this season, in addition to the usual stars of the show, this season season three does add uh, Meryl Streep. So. Yay, Meryl Streep mm-hmm. uh, and Paul Rudd. So, and then other little people in in cameos who I won't spoil, but I'm sure other people in their respective reviews have. Um, mm-hmm. Is this one that you've been watching regularly or not? No, I, I kind of stopped on this one. I was I was never a huge. I was never really into it. I, st- I watched it for a while because of the cast, and I was just kind of like, eh, it doesn't really do it for me. So no, I've never been the biggest fan of it, but I definitely thought that the first season was very good. I thought the second season was spotty, and the third season, I think it works mostly when it's being kind of sad and poignant about the loneliness of these people in the city, which has always been a part of the show. To me, it feels like it's more successfully apart this season. You you might be a little bit more amused by this season because it's very much set in the world of theater. And oh, so that's okay. kind of what the backdrop is. And, okay. and I know that's a world that you, that you like and appreciate. So it might do a little bit more for you. But also, if you didn't like the show, you're not going to suddenly start doing right. it. But, right. you know, Meryl Streep well, the, is I mean, the cast is amazing. I mean, all these people yeah. that are in the cast is, are, are incredible. So... And so that's the, that to me is more than anything the reason to watch it is I do still like the interactions with all the performers and all of that and you you know this season gives Andrea Martin more to do and so that's that's fun because watching Andrea Martin and Steve Martin work together is amusing and uh, 
the idea of Martin Short and Meryl Streep as a romantic pairing is amusing. And there's there's a lot of that. Um, but but I was not really very interested in the mystery this season, which anyone who watched the end of the second season knows that the Paul Rudd character is an actor in a play that the Martin Short character is directing as part of his Broadway comeback. And he's murdered on opening night, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what the show does. And mm-hmm. uh, But it's, it's not as engaging. The first season, I really thought they kind of got the mystery right, where they made it so that you actually were trying to think of who who done it all season long yeah second season didn't do that and third season most part doesn't either uh i've seen eight of ten episodes i guess and i, I don't really particularly care who did it I'll, I'll watch more but it's it's one of those premises which is just really hard to sustain <laughs> so yeah. so i i kind of feel as if probably it's a show that should be near its end but yeah who knows <laughs> it's always weird it's like well there's got to be a murderer how, how I mean, what? How many coincidences did, does it have to be that these characters are around murders all the time? That and it's and it's a running and it is a running joke, of course. That yeah, that everyone yeah. wants to chuckle about that, and they all chuckle about it, and you can't not. But right. the question of if you can still be chuckling about it when we get to season four or five, <laughs> right, right. I, I would not think right. so. Uh, but it's it's just a it's a tough genre, the comedy mystery, to extend. Uh, I thought the first party of the after the first season of the after party, uh, another star-studded comic who done it with a very high concept on on Apple TV Plus. I thought it was very amusing. Second season, I found much less amusing. So it's it just it's hard for anybody to say no. I won't do a second season, but in some cases, it would probably behoove people to say yeah. no. I shouldn't do a second season. But fans of Only Murders will probably enjoy it, right? I mean, oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you okay. and and the, certainly the big fans, certainly the people who didn't feel like there was a drop in quality between first and second season, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. I, I okay. don't think I don't think those people will have any problems at all. Okay, and it's out now. It's it's in uh, it's on it's on Hulu. And how, uh, how, how the, do they do? They do it weekly on Hulu. For this? this one, this one is weekly. They might have premiered two episodes in the first batch and then gone weekly from there. But yeah, it's it's a okay. it's a weekly rule. Okay, Only Murders, uh, season three on Hulu now. Uh, before we get into anything else, we have to talk about the podcast that you do, uh, TV's Top 5. Please tell everybody about that and how they can listen. Indeed. Uh, it is TV's Top 5 podcast. It is available wherever you get your podcasts, be it Apple TV, Apple Podcasts or wherever. Um, and it is the weekly podcast that I do with my THR colleague, Leslie Goldberg. We talk about everything that's in the news. Uh, I do a Critics Corner segment where I run through many, many reviews. And we tend to do an interview every week. It's sort of shifted in focus to things that have been more strike-centric, obviously, since people mm-hmm. stopped promoting things. Though last week's podcast, we talked to the CW's head of programming, uh, Brad Schwartz, because we've been talking on a weekly basis for the past handful of months about what the CW was in this day and age since it was sold to Nexstar and whether it was still your father's CW or five years ago, CW, I guess, more likely. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so he came on and, and tried to insist that it's still going to be the same network that it was, just blah, blah, blah. And, you know, maybe people will buy it more. Maybe they'll buy it less. It's it's honestly hard to tell because 
in this strike landscape, everything is right. Everything is weird. But yes, yeah. so that is TV's top pod, uh, five podcast, and it the number five, and it comes out every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, make sure you check that out. And I will just say this: never trust Nextstar as far as you can spit. Okay, I I think uh, it is I think it is entirely reasonable, <laughs> both in your specific yep, case yep. and in general, to have that caution. Okay, I just want to just air, let that out there for a second. Okay, uh, Sigourney Weaver on Amazon, um, and this is lost. Flowers of Alice Hart. Uh, I love Sigourney Weaver. Uh, I, I have not read your review. Um, I'm interested in it. Please tell me about it. It is a adaptation of an Australian novel, and it you know does as you say. It stars uh, noted Australian Sigourney Weaver, um, <laughs> who is doing what I would describe as a soft and non distracting Australian accent. Okay. So that is... I love is, that. I'm sorry. that I'm now always going to think of her as noted Australian. I'm sorry. Uh, that's it. It is entirely reasonable. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so the, the the story, it's it's kind of a... It's a metaphor-heavy piece of literary adaptation about abuse and horticulture and very, very pretty Australian sunsets. The basic story is that a young girl, her parents, um, her loving mother and her abusive father are killed in a fire that the girl blames herself for. She's briefly orphaned, but then she discovers she had a grandmother who she never knew about, played by noted Australian actress Sigourney Weaver. Um, might as well just run with that. Uh, who lives somewhere inland on a flower farm where she serves as a protector to abused women so the young girl moves in with her grandmother and various abused women and learns about flowers and life and recovery mm -hmm. and stuff it is probably not really seven episodes worth of storytelling um and so it definitely feels padded uh, some of the performances are excellent the young actress who plays the girl when she's uh in her preteen years is fantastic. The slightly older actress who plays her when she's uh, in her low twenties um, is Alicia Debnam Carey from the 100. She's, she's good. She's mm. just got a less interesting character to play. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's a lot of heavy metaphor handled with out any particular sense of making a different media medium work. On the other hand, it's utterly gorgeous. The Australian locations are stunning, and everything is shot either at sunrise or sunset, so no, it's yeah, all yeah. just beautiful. Uh, and and at that rate, you might just think seven episodes is is you know I can I can watch Australian sunsets for seven hours, and you might want to. It's uh, not a strong recommendation, but there are definitely elements that will keep hmm. you going if you're so, curious. So it's just is Sigourney Weaver now just going to continue to make movies that are about trauma and horticulture now? Is that is that the thing now cuz she was in the <laughs> she was in the Schrader movie earlier this year which I have not seen so I do yeah. not know. Uh but if that's hey, if that's her if that's her <laughs> niche, that's her niche. Okay. Well, that's definitely what the Schrader movie is. It's No, and well that, I mean that's definitely what this is also. Right. So, right. Yeah. Uh, if she if she's got a type, she's got a type. Right. I wouldn't rush out to see Master Gardener. I uh I would not. That's just my opinion. Um, all right. Um, before we before we wrap it up here, uh, Dan, uh, you know, it is Big Brother time. It is. Uh, although it started later than usual so that they continue it through. Now it's going to go to like, what, November? The beginning yes. of November? No? It, oh, my it God. It is going to be the longest, the longest season ever. Oh, my God. See, to me, this is like summer lark. You know what I mean? That's why I like it. It's like, oh, it's summertime. Let's watch this crap till September. 
and now it's on until November. <laughs> I can't. Gotta, uh, gotta, gotta fill space. Gotta yeah. fill time. That's hey, just I what it the, is. I watched that 25th an- not anniversary. Remember, you were getting so mad because uh-huh. it's not an anniversary. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so I watched the 20th, 25th <clears throat> poorly titled anniversary special. Did you know who was originally supposed to host Big Brother? I'm, I'm assuming you didn't watch the 25th anniversary. <laughs> I did not. Okay. Was it somebody better than Julie Chen Moonves? I hope so. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> somebody who I love. I don't know if we've ever talked about my love for Meredith Vieira. Have we ever talked about my love for <laughs> Meredith Vieira? I don't think we have, no. Okay. I love Somehow Meredith it's Vera. never come up. I love her. I love her. Uh, uh, and she was originally, they pitched it to her, and then she went, nah. And so they gave it to Julie Chen. So it would have been Meredith Vieira. Now, that would have been so much better, in my opinion, if it was Meredith Vieira. Julie Chen is just so awful. I and know. She's I, terrible. And she's I, terrible. I was tolerant for a long time that it was sort of I – was, I was fine with accepting her as the Chen bot, and that was like a thing and whatever. But it's yeah. – But when she, when she turned into the – when she just started vocally saying, I am now Julie Chen Moonves, I'm like, oh. God. Oh, that was the, that was the death knell, without any question. Yeah. I did. I, yeah. I was not a fan before, but that was like, okay, you're we're, yep. we're done, Julie Chen Moonves. You whatever. <laughs> I I'm, I'm with you completely. I, I always found her annoying, and like I just I, I, she was the worst possible host. I love the show, but I don't like her. And then when she did that one that one time when all the controversy started, and she one night said, "I'm Julie Chen Moonves," and punched Moonves, I was like, oh man. It, it was you definitely suck. She drew, she drew a line in the sand, and yeah. apparently the the show decided to keep her around. And yeah, I I don't get yeah. it, but I don't either. Well, anyway, <laughs> let's. Uh, so anyway, it would have been Meredith Vieira, who I have like I've always had like a crush on her, and I don't. I mean, and and uh, I don't know. I'm not really sure why. I you know I just I've always loved Meredith Vieira, and I don't. Know. It's a very strange thing. My friends are like, "What the hell is wrong with you?" I, was, I don't know. I have a crush on Meredith Vieira. It is. So it I, is. Uh, it is absolutely unexpected. There is no question <laughs> that that's not a crush I anticipated. <laughs> I'm a weird dude, Dan. I think you know that, Val. But anyway, uh, some sometimes you say people you have crushes on, and I go, "Of course, that makes total sense." That right. scans. This right. was not necessarily <laughs> scan, but well, it's it's a different data point, and that's all that matters. Right. Well, anyway, she would have been, I think, a much better host than Julie Moonves, but she's but uh, that she's not. So anyway, uh, what do, what are your thoughts on the first? You've watched the first. There have been two episodes, and I, I assume you watched both, or as much I have as watched you, both, as much and as you I can have take. I've I've watched both episodes and none of the uh, the the feeds, so I okay. don't. Know. Not, Have I haven't watched have... any feeds yet either. I've not watched any of the feeds yet. Either, so. I I don't know. It's like <laughs> I, there are some personalities that I find vaguely amusing, and so that is that's mm-hmm. kind of a thing that keeps me going. Um, yeah. The season themes oh. always they always annoy me, and oh, this and, one, and this is especially bad. The oh. I feel as if the scene of the three returning players going back into the oh. house and fiddling with the lasers was about as bad as anything oh. Big Brother has ever done. Without question, Dan. Without question, I was a. I was just, my jaw was on the the whole thing. I'm like, what are we watching? What is but this? It, it kept going, and yeah. it wasn't even one of those things where at least the contestants seemed to be jo- enjoying it. <laughs> I they know. were standing there going, "I don't understand what is happening." I, I think they also may not have been completely sure if they recognized Brittany, which I think might have been a real thing. Um, they also might have been among the very reasonable people who were very annoyed by Frankie Grande and didn't yep. and, and weren't like, yay, let's have him back. Um, but yeah, so, so the themes all seem stupid. Um, I don't and know. I, do I, we have to have, do we have a, do we have to have a multiverse in everything now? 
Like every, I mean, Jesus. No, we don't. And yet someone in the idea room said, ooh, multiverse. And someone went, ah, that'll make us look cool. And so that was what they... That was what they went with. Um, uh, I don't know. I've 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 always liked Suri on on Survivor. She's she's mm-hmm. a very interesting Survivor figure slash player in the sense that every single time she's been on the show, I've somehow managed to underestimate her. Like I always forget how smart she is. Okay, and that's completely on me because she keeps coming back on Survivor and keeps being smart. So obviously she just is. Yeah. But somehow I don't remember it because because the persona is always so friendly and so maternal. And and so, and, and I kind of like that. And I, I loved the speed with which Izzy immediately recognized. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was tremendous. <laughs> it was. Um, <laughs> and, and so that was good. And, and some of the other people seem like they, you know, look, at this point, everybody, on Big on Big Brother has the exact same character arc where it's the people are going to look at me at but what they don't know is that yeah. I'm also right. I'm like great okay right. fine so right. you're you know you're you're an astronaut but you also have a serious drinking problem and party every weekend and right. no one would ever expect that you're both of those things right I don't right. know that's that's I mean obviously they and they have the archetypes of everybody that you always get every year but that, I will tell you this because there's a guy named Jag so I have to to I have to root for him. His name is Jag. Uh, there are multiple people with uh, with the with names that are primary colors. I, I like that. <laughs> I, I like that there that are, came up where they were are, like, yeah. "Yes, I'm I'm also blue. I guess also like the color." Sure, I know. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, but, and I didn't. The, the, and the whole we're gonna drag the young kid off into the what the, <laughs> the, the darkness or whatever the arm drags him. I was like, "What the hell is going on?" It, it was strange, it uh, was. and and I liked everyone being like, "Yeah, he's not going to get carded for a long time," which of course <laughs> yeah. is accurate because he yeah. does look like he's twelve. He does. Uh, but I'll, and I'll be curious to see if they're actually if if his being a persuasive speaker or whatever it is that he is if yeah. it has actual in-game value or yeah. not who knows uh, uh, I kind of yeah, I, I, I like the Australian woman I'm kind of leaning I like her I find her charming and I you know um, she, she's she's amusing though the yeah. I'm gonna tell everyone I'm 35 right as if that's a, a deeply <laughs> meaningful no these some of these people have amusing backstory the, the guy who's a who Who's a burlesque dancer? That's right. kind of a funny right. thing. Yeah. Um, I I like the the um, the bartender who's a, kind of a second rate Sydney Sweeney knockoff. Um, yep. And I kind of liked how she, everyone else is like, we don't really want to win this head of household, and then suddenly she went out and did this obstacle course that no one could do and she did it in 15 seconds right. and even the people who wanted to couldn't have done it that fast right so, yeah yeah well i don't know. i mean we'll see i mean you'll hate it by by oh, week four sure. you'll be done um so that's what i'm that's what i'm here i'm here for you dan i'm here to to give you the uh, to give you the updates on big brother because i will watch it regardless um, i think i sh- well we'll we'll see i okay. will see if if two weeks from now i'm still watching it'll okay. be it'll be a thing to to check out all right, so that's that, that's that's a highlight for the next time. Anything uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks that you're looking forward to talking about the next time we visit? 
Um, let's see. Besides Big to, Brother. <laughs> I'm trying to think of when things line up because a couple of us at THR may or may not have a big TV-related project that I don't want to spoil just let yet, but it's either going to be for next visit or the visit after that okay. we can discuss it. So, okay. we'll so something see. big is coming up, either next time or the or the time after. Yes, we are. Okay. We have we have been deeply invested and in doing lots of Zoom calls Uh-oh. and other things about a big project. So I, oh. I hope it's a thing worth discussing. We'll see. Boy, that's what we call a tease in the business, Dan. Fantastic. I'm a I'm a pro. <laughs> you are a pro. All right, Dan. Always a pleasure. We'll talk to you next time. Okay. Till next time, Nick. All right, buddy. Take care. Dan Feinberg from The Hollywood Reporter. Always a great time to talk to him. Check out The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. And uh, here's a fine human being, Esmeralda Leon. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esma. I'm talking about that Esma. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esmeralda. Yeah, yeah, oh, Esmeralda Leon, yeah, yeah, get yourself some asthma, love me some asthma, Esmeralda Leon, yeah, yeah, Esmeralda, Esmeralda. And that of course means it's time to talk to Esmeralda Leon, and we do it on uh, every show. And uh, we just had a, a fun weekend at Flashback Horror Convention, and Esmeralda came by on Saturday, and we did uh, a live podcast from there, and uh, and that's the last time I saw her, um, and I was running around like a loon. Hi, Esmeralda. Hello. How are, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. The last time I saw you, I was just, like, this year was completely insane at Flashback. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we were like our, our Q&A rooms and all that stuff. It was in a different spot than it was last year. And we were trying to manage that. And the, you know, they had the room with the photo opportunities across the hall. You were there. Yeah. And it was, yeah, nu- yeah, yeah. It was nuts. So I didn't even get to talk to you really because I was running around like a jag off. Um, but hi. How are you? Hi. How, how are you doing? <laughs> doing all right. It was a fun time. Yeah. Um, super, super exciting to um, speak with the three bullies from uh, Christine. Although there was the fourth. He's yeah. like the fifth beetle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that... he, you know, they don't really consider him, but they do. But he like didn't dress because I noticed, yeah, they all kind of dress the same. Yeah. And then him. <laughs> then the other guy. Now, the other guy, yeah. I think I think he has one line. In the movie, and he's just kind of there. I, I think he's the he's the guy. He's their connection at the gas station. Like he's the mechanic. Yeah, he's guy. working. Yeah, he's working at the gas station. Yeah. He also gets murdered. He does. I mean, because he was bullying. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's a jag off. He's what there's the, the four guys. I mean, that, I don't know if that guy. Jesus, I, I didn't even ask the guys or Malcolm in particular because I, I I hung out with Malcolm. By, by the way, uh, we should uh, specify this. Esmeralda and I did our podcast live from the Flashback Weekend Horror Convention, and we had a really mm-hmm. nice crowd. Roger Badish, our old, our old friend from yes, uh, the Car that Wash, was a showed lovely up. surprise. Very nice to see Roger. I didn't even I hadn't I, seen you know, him in a long time. Been a long time since I saw Roger, and he showed up, which was really nice, and that was very cool to see him there. And we had a lot of people show up, and it was great, and fans of the podcast, and it was cool. And um, so we did the podcast live, and you can hear it. It's the episode before this one. This is episode 166, mm-hmm. uh, and episode 165 is live from Flashback with Nick and Ez. Um, and so you can check that out. 
Um, but we, uh, you know, when, when we were when I was planning the podcast with Mike and Mia, we were trying to figure out who would be fun guests to have up on stage with you and me. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, I think the you know the Christine guys will be great because like last year we did PJ and John from Halloween, so they thought you know let's do another John Carpenter thing since we had such a good time with PJ and John last year. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, yeah, how about the how about the bullies? How about the guys from Christine? And so I was like, I, I threw that past you, and then you watched and you watched the movie because you had never seen it before. Well, first, um, what did you think of the movie? It was great. Yeah. Um, I don't understand why everyone was so hard on Arnie. <laughs> I know, man, right? <laughs> I was just like, leave him alone, man. He wants to buy this car and you'll fix it up. Yeesh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it turns out to be some evil car, right. but <laughs> But then also, um, I mean, okay. The the jealous of the girlfriend thing is a bit much, but like in the beginning when the guy when they it's in the factory, brand yeah. new, and he and the ashes in the car. I agree. I agree. Uh, of course. Yeah. yeah You're going to die, man. I agree. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if the dude who had his hand in the in the hood deserved that to have his hand chopped off by the by the hood. Don't know about that. But the Jagoff who got in the car and ashed. Yeah, that's not good. You can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, it's probably car adrenaline. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's funny. I mean, I, 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 um, I mean, you know, I'm glad you, I'm glad you liked it. I, you know, and because I remember, uh, you know, because that movie came out at a time when Carpenter made that movie, he had just finished the thing, mm-hmm. um, and that was his follow up to the thing. And the thing, and a lot, of, some people might not remember this. The thing was a massive bomb when it came out, and I mean, it was a bomb. And it made no money. He spent millions of dollars on it, and it bombed. And now, you know, 40 years later, everybody loves it. Now, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's a masterpiece. Right. But when it came out, it almost ended Carpenter's career. So he didn't want to do because you know back in back in that in in those days, Esmeralda. I mean, you were like months old when that movie came out. When mm-hmm. Christine came out, but back in those days, at that time, everybody was doing um, uh, Stephen King adaptations. Like they just started to roll, right? And he yeah, didn't yeah. want to do one. Carpenter was like, I don't want to do one. But Car- but you know. The thing bombed, and he's like, "Okay, this will be a commercial hit because everybody was making them, and they were all making money." Uh, but then he ended up really—he found a good script. Bill Phillips wrote the script. He found a good script, and he made a really great movie out of it. And it made money, and it ended up being really good. But he didn't want to make it. Um, but it turned out great. Um, and and uh, and but yeah, it was fun. And so so you were like, "Hey, leave Arnie alone." But then Arnie turns into a jag off, though. I mean, <laughs> it's the car. It is the car. It's Christine. But he probably—I don't know. I feel like because things could have been prevented, as he said, you know, like they probably wouldn't have gone to his house to to beat up his car. True. I would True. think. Yeah. But I'm just like, what is up with that mom and that controlling ass mom? Yeah. And then that dad who like tries just to like stand up to him like for something so stupid. Um. And yeah, he did kind of choke out his dad. That he was does, and he slaps him. He slaps. Him. I'm going. I'm, I'm going up to bed, and he slaps him in the face and goes up to his bed. That's actually one of my favorite scenes. Is when um, he and John Stockwell kept when, uh, after right after he buys the car, um, and and she's like, "You did what?" You know, she's yelling at him about buying the car, and then they blame John Stockwell. Mm. Why did you let him buy the car? He's like, "Hey," I <laughs> when they're blaming his right. <laughs> It's like I'm not his mother. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, thanks for the milk. He's I, that's one of my favorite moments in the movie because he's drinking a glass of thanks for the milk when they when they walk. Oh out. God. 
Uh, well, I'm glad you enjoyed um, and, it. And, yeah. Yeah. I, I also did what I what I found um, interesting, and I get it for whatever at the time. It was probably because he was older or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the guy who sold him the oh, car, yeah. I like that he's wearing a back brace. He's wearing like a truss kind of thing. It's, it's like, like a, a ba- it looks like a back brace, like something yeah. like if you had scoliosis or something. Right. But it it looks like from the front. Nowadays, it looks very cool. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, look at him! A little fashion yeah. plate." <laughs> it's funny. That's that's a that's a character actor named Roberts Blossom is his name, uh, which is a great name, like a great name for like Roberts. Uh, Roberts. It's plural. Roberts Blossom is his name, and uh, mm-hmm. and he's a character actor. He's been in a ton of stuff. I love him in that movie. He's got one of my favorite lines. I'm gonna sell this shit and buy me a condo. That's one of my favorite lines <laughs> in, the whole, in the whole movie. It's except for except maybe for pussy. That whole thing. yeah. <laughs> It's just fantastic. Now he's great. Roberts Blossom is fantastic in it, and um, you know he's got a couple of really great, like three amazing character actors in that movie doing great work. Like Roberts Blossom, who sold the car, wearing that weird vesty thing, mm-hmm. and then you've got Harry Dean Stanton as the cop. I mean, my God. Yes. Which also, <laughs> I was I, the the third degree was giving him asking him all the questions about the car. Yeah. I was like, for a minute, I'm just like, some of this makes no sense. Mm-hmm. As to why you would ask any of the like, he wasn't there. Yeah, I forget exactly what he was asking him, but I remember like at the at the time just being like, "Wait, what? Why would that have anything to do with anything?" Well, the the I guess because the 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 evidence was that he was cut in half by what looked like a Plymouth, you know, like like what was that? Oh, what, the, was, so well, what bothered me about that? He's like, "Oh, you fixed it up really quick, didn't yeah. you?" <laughs> or did? And it's like, what? Yeah. Um. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, he did. I just, I'm just kind of like, the que- the line of questioning that. Oh well, wasn't it trashed? Yeah. It's like, so what are you inferring that he bought a whole new exact car? Yeah. Like, or I'm that just that is by that that because they, you know, like, uh, you know, the motivation was because they trashed the car, that he, you know, like clearly, you know, like, um. He he fixed up the car so he could kill them with the car. I guess was the was the thought process that Harry Dean Stanton was because they fucked up. Was his it car. because he was like? I mean, Arnie had to pretend that he did fix it. Yeah, he's like, oh, you can see because he's like, I, I don't see the fill at all. You know, when he's pointing to the doors, no, it's right he's here. Like, oh no, I did yeah. fix it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just like he's like, I understand that one of them uh, defecated on the dashboard, and he said, what does he say? Shit wipes off. <laughs> yes. So you got oh, Harry I did Dean also, I, Yeah. Yeah. I also noticed that they love to use at least Arnie shitter. Yeah. That was a that as was a... See, <laughs> that's that's a that's Stephen King Esmeralda. That's a whole Stephen King thing. Oh um, really? Oh yeah, no, no, I was no. Just, that, it was a funny like, oh yeah. these shitters. We're gonna yeah. get these shitters. Yeah. I was like, all right. No, that's a that's a Stephen King thing. Um uh that was a that was a that was sort of a, an insult that was created by Stephen King. Shitter. And he's used it in a couple mm. of he's used it in a few books. And it's a oh, it's a to- okay. it's a it's a total Stephen King thing, like calling somebody a shitter. That's a, that's a Stephen King. Thing. But I mean, ultimately, we're all shitters. We all do it. You know. I mean, exactly. There's a whole book about it. <laughs> and we are all shitters. Or everybody poops. Uh, is the yeah. is But the other one, the other guy. So you got Roberts Blossom, the guy who sold the car. You got Harry Dean Stanton, mm-hmm. then the cop. Those are two of the greatest characters. And fucking Robert Prosky as the guy who runs the auto shop. 
I, you, 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 you oh, talk, yeah. If you keep talking like that, I'm going to throw you out on your ass. That guy is so... He was, he was one of the deaths that I didn't... I was like, Christine, that's his friend. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> He's oh, actually looking out for you. <laughs> uh, excuse me, sir, but those gentlemen over there are smoking. You better, you could try to get your friend kicked out of here. <laughs> the great Robert Prosky, who's been, who was, um, had great Chicago connections. He was in Thief. He was in, have you, uh, I think you've, we've talked about Gremlins 2, right? You've seen Gremlins 2, right? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. He's the, he's the, the, he's dr- the Grandpa Munster yeah, looking. Exactly. Yeah. He's the TV horror host in, in Gremlins 2. Yeah. I love Robert, Pr- and I love him and Christine. Uh, you know, I just think I think he's fantastic, and he's a gruff old guy. But then he starts to like the guy. He likes the kid. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. And then they and then Christine adjusts the goddamn seat, and he dies. Yeah, that was the one where I was like, "Come on, Christine! <laughs> he had that gun. He was gonna shoot whoever was in that. Yeah, he was protecting. Yeah, exactly. But whatever, Christine. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but right, but those three classic character actors: Robert Blossom, Harry Dean Stanton, uh, Stanton, and. Uh, and and uh, and Prosky, Robert Prosky, amazing man, amazing. Well, I'm glad you liked the movie. So the three guys that showed up are uh, are three of the four guys who who completely destroy Christine. Yeah. Um, well, there's a no. I, I he wasn't there. Um, the, the the odd man out. He was. I don't think. He no, was he's there. there. He's there. Oh, he is. is he? Oh, yeah, okay. he's there. He's there. He's okay. off to the side. The three guys that. The three main guys that we interviewed, the ones that we interviewed, they do the yes. most damage. That guy's kind of on the on the corner. So yeah, we interviewed yeah, yeah. William Ostrander, mm-hmm. uh, Malcolm Danar, um, mm-hmm. and Stephen Tash, and uh, yes. and so it was fun. And before before they came up on stage, um, you know, you know, you and I got up there and we started talking about scary movies. You were talking about the the story, you know, that you've told, uh, which I think is a wonderful story about your brother tricking you into thinking that Pet <laughs> Cemetery is a comedy. <laughs> Uh, apparently, I didn't know what cemeteries were. I don't know why. I was like, "Uh huh, sure." Well, it was spelled with an S in the, you know, so maybe yeah, that. Maybe, <laughs> that might... maybe that's what it was. So I was like, "This is a different cemetery." You know, it's got a cat in it. It'll be funny. There's a cat in it. So, and Herman Munster and a cat. That'll be funny. Uh, so, so, but we told that story, and then we had like some really lovely people come up to the mic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, were you? Did you find it a little surprising, Esmeralda, that how many people in the audience and the people who came up to the mic mentioned Jaws? Yeah, especially there were um, the two people who had mentioned. They were they were at least one of them was younger. Really young, yeah. I mean, that movie came out fifty years ago. Yeah. You know? um, and- so you can't be. You can't. That that he doesn't like that movie for the scary of it. Yeah, I'm going to assume. <laughs> yeah, but it, as much as that's a great movie, that thing is not scary for for anyone nowadays. You mean the the shark itself? <laughs> the shark itself. Yeah, yeah Bruce, as they really. as they called him on the set, Bruce. It's not really the same. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I mean, I saw when it, it first came out. I saw it not too long ago um, at the Pickwick Theater, just about about maybe two months ago, a month and a half ago. On the big screen at the Pickwick Theater. And the place was packed. There were like 700 people in there, 800 people in there. And it was great. And it's still a great movie. It's still suspenseful and great. But the, like this, when the shark jumps up and starts biting in the air yeah. and, going, and yeah. going after Robert <laughs> and going after Robert Shaw, it's like, ugh. But they had... It's I, looking I, a little, but you, I don't know, know you, you, still, you, you still accept it. You still... Oh, yeah. I don't you're know if in you, the, the moment. I don't know if you know this or not, but the shark was supposed to be seen a lot more. When they were making yeah, the movie, malfunctioned, it, right? Right, or... exactly, and that's why you don't see it. And oddly, it makes the movie scarier because you don't see the mm-hmm. shark. I think it makes it scarier. 
Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, they had trouble with that goddamn shark. Oh my god, because they were on. I guess the guys who designed it didn't realize mm-hmm. they were actually it was going to be affected by actual salt water, <laughs> and, and like it <laughs> fucked up the shark. It it malfunctioned all the time, <sighs> and they named the shark Bruce, and that's that's the <laughs> that's was the shark was Bruce. Um, and Bruce malfunctioned all the time. So that's why, you know, like Spielberg, oh, Spielberg had to do all kinds of other things to make it scarier. And I think it works better without seeing all the shark stuff. I think it's scary. Yeah, it's it's very Hitchcock. You know, yeah. you don't know what you you're scared of what you can't see. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so, I, you know, when we talked to those people, I was like, wow, Jaws is still out there, man. Young kids mm-hmm. in 2023, young kids were walking up to the mic going, Jaws is really scary. I'm like, that makes me feel good. I like that. <laughs> and then remember, as well, when we were talking to everybody, how many of the movies that people came up and talked about were were eventually remade? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't. Well, and some I didn't even realize. I didn't know Children of the Corn had been redone. It had remade, and also, I mean, there were a ton of sequels, but there was an actual remake. Speaking, boy, that's Stephen King as well. Pet Cemetery, Christine, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, um, good. Yeah. Thirteen. 13- I actually, yeah. um, when I got back, I was. Uh, watching Pluto TV, mm-hmm. and they have a they have a horror channel. Yeah, and uh, two of the movies, one that we spoke about, My Bloody Valentine, the yeah. remake was on. The remake, okay. And then um, Terrifier Two was also on at a certain point. Wow. Was at like the whole cast was at the there at, were, uh, yeah, flashback. It was ridiculous. There were eight people representing Terrifier, and when they did, um, uh, uh, Patrick did the Q and A. For Terrifier, mm-hmm. because I hate those movies. So Patrick did the Q and A, and it literally that stage was packed. Like there were three tables; they had to bring yeah. out three tables, and everybody on that Q and A on the panel stage it was packed. Um, I mean, I watched I watched part of Terrifier too. Jesus Christ! Yeah, that's not going <laughs> to you're, you're, that's not going to go over well with you, Esmeralda. I'm telling you right now, it was uh, a lot. Um, they, he shot some lady in the yeah. face. And then no. brought her to a, she sat her in a dining room table and then yeah. shoved mashed potatoes in the hole. Yeah. It was a lot. No, there's a lot to it. And I mean, those, those, <laughs> oh, those movies, those terrifier movies, which I think are terrible. I'm, you know, listen, uh, over the weekend, I kept that mom. <laughs> I mean, they do, they have that, um, B movie. Yeah. Feeling to them. Yeah. And that's the point. Uh, they, they, not they in want... a good, in that like, oh, this didn't. Oh, I see. This was the, the point uh, was they wanted to they wanted to make a grimy, low budget movie and and as gross as possible. And I admire yeah. that. I don't mind that. I like I like grimy B movies. But I think you should write a fucking script if you're gonna do, if you're gonna do that. <laughs> I hate those two movies. And now that the now that the festival is over, I can say that because like all weekend. All the Terrifier stuff, I steered clear of all of it because I fucking hate those two movies. Mm-hmm. So I didn't do the I didn't do the panels. I didn't do anything. I did not do like the photo ops. Everybody was in line for the photo ops with Art the Clown and all that shit. I just don't. I mean, I that hate... looked that looked great. I did see yeah. uh, pictures of them in the makeup and everything. Oh so no, it's amazing. Been, Listen, that had to be fun for the people who were with, getting the photo ops. Let me tell you something. The fans were and and, and let me tell you something. Mike and Mia did a remarkable job getting the because let me tell you, I, I, you know, in the horror community. Esmeralda, which you experienced over the weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I am way in the minority um, with my opinion of terif- the Terrifier movies. They have become beloved by the horror community. I just happen to think they're shit. <laughs> so, but I'm not, I'm like everybody else, you know, the, the majority of the people in the horror community love those movies. And, you know, Mike and Mia did a gangbuster job getting that cast together. And man, did they look great in their makeup. And, 
people were so thrilled to be with Art the Clown and the little pale girl in her mm-hmm. crazy ass makeup. I mean, it was it, people loved it, man. It made every all of the Terrifier fans were really happy, and that's the whole point, you know, of flashback is to just have a great time and. And, you know, if you don't like that movie, that's cool. Somebody else does. And that's awesome. So, yeah. And also yeah. just the, the fact that like that is such a once really maybe one or two more times in a lifetime that you're going to get characters, people who the actors all in the makeup. Yeah. And you're going to get shots with them like that. And then if you love the movie, it's like, oh, my God, my mind would have been blown if I was yeah. uh, into that movie. Yeah. And then to get a photo op like that. Whoo. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. And 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 you saw the lines. The lines were mm-hmm. fucking down that hallway and up the escalator. It was unbelievable. Um and we were right across the we were, you know, the the Q&A room, the panel room was right across the room from where they did those photo opportunities. And mm-hmm. the lines for Art the Clown and for the for the for the terrifiers in costume were the longest lines of the weekend. I mean, through yeah. the roof. Yeah. So, yeah, it was cool having those people around. And, 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 you know, the vendor room was great. I will tell you this. The, one of the biggest thrills for me was um, I did, I did uh, some panels over the weekend that I, that I had a blast with. Um, um, I did one with Dick Warlock, mm-hmm. who is a great stuntman, who also is Kurt Russell's body double, who was Kurt Russell's body double for 35 years. Oh, nice. And I did a, I did a Q&A with him, and... It was he's 86 and he was kind of nervous. He had never done a panel by himself. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, he like hugged me and he's like, "Come on, come come here. You're you're great. Oh my god!" And I now have Dick Warlock's. <laughs> I I can call Dick Warlock right now. I have his <laughs> Dick Warlock, and I don't. I mean, this is a big deal. This is Dick fucking Warlock. And then like Leo Rossi uh, from a bunch of movies. He and his wife, who was in Phantasm, they now are like buddies of mine. Um, nice. And then the mo- but I think the funniest, without question, the most fun. I mean, those panels were amazing. But the one that was the most fun for the audience, the most fun for me, was the scream panel that I did at the very. It was the very last panel of the weekend, and yeah. it was I. I did the moderating, and it was Jamie Kennedy, uh, Lee Waddell, who played Ghostface, um, and and Skeet Ulrich. Nice. Um, and it was without question. One of the funnest and most hilarious fucking Q&As I've ever done. And I've been doing Q&As for 21 years at Flashback. Um, and it was hilarious. And Jamie Kennedy was like, dude, you're funny. And so we were riffing. <laughs> and, and so because normally, like, after the, after, the, after the Q&A was over, he's like, man, you were fucking funny, man. Normally, we just kick the MC off. Like, they, <laughs> like they, don't, they don't get, but, like, I was riffing and I was fighting and, and I was like, you know, I would like they would do a joke and I would go right back with him. Like at one point, I'll give you a perfect example. At one point, um, I asked um, Jay, late in late in the Q and asked Jamie Kennedy because I love Malibu's Most Wanted. I fucking love it. Yeah, no, you I, told uh, me that you were yeah. like, that's definitely yeah. we're going to talk about yeah. that. <laughs> so at the end of at the end of the Q and A, because we were running a little bit long, and but it was the last Q and A of the day. But. And, and Jamie Kennedy kept hitting me like when when like Skeet or Lee was talking, he because he was sitting next to me. He kept hitting me. He's like, "Let's go longer. Let's go longer." And I'm like, "Dude, you're they're, <laughs> they're going to close up the room, and you won't be able to get signed. You won't be able to get stuff signed. I want you guys to be able to get back to your table and make some money, you know, to sign autographs and stuff." And he's like, "Fuck that. Let's just go," you know. <laughs> so I'm like, "I'm so he's so probably we went, like I made my nut. It's yeah, fine. <laughs> exactly." And so so he probably so at one point. Uh, so we did all the scream stuff. We took and great stories. And, oh my god, was it funny? Oh my god! Mm-hmm. I mean, right out of the gate, Jamie Kennedy is so funny, and Skeet Ulrich was the straight man, and Lee Waddell was like the old guy going, "Oh, bunch of both, shut up." It was fantastic, <laughs> and I was the guy who was egging. I was basically egging Jamie on. 
So I became like nice. his, you know, and it was fantastic. And, and man, I'm telling you the timing, it was, it was really great to be a part of it. You know how you, when you're, when you're in something and it feels good and you know, it's funny. Oh yeah. And I was yeah, bouncing yeah. shit off of those guys and they were bouncing off of me and it felt great. And, but it, so I asked him to tell a story about Malibu's most wanted. And he told this story about how he and Terry Cruz, cause Terry Cruz is in it. And he, t- mm-hmm. <laughs> he told the story about how he has a fight scene with Terry Cruz. <laughs> and Terry Cruz grabs him. And, uh, and it's really physical, and he's throwing him around. And he tells the story about how on that day on the set, during the most physical part, he had a big hemorrhoid. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> and he, so he tells this story about like how he had a hemorrhoid, and Terry Crews is throwing him on his ass and stuff the whole time. And he tells this hemorrhoid story. So then as soon as he's done, I go to Skeet Ulrich. I go, do you have any good hemorrhoid stories from the craft? And it got a huge laugh. And Jamie Kennedy started, <laughs> laughed his ass off, and, uh, and, and Skeet Ulrich was great about it. And then he went in and told a great story about that did not involve hemorrhoids from the craft. And right. So when it, was all, <laughs> when it was all over, we were walking off the stage, and Jamie Kennedy grabs me, and he's like, dude, way to pick up the hemorrhoid thing. That was funny. And I'm like, thanks, man. <laughs> so, and then like, we took pictures together, and it was great. And there was, a, there was something that Jamie Kennedy was telling this story where I was like, how did you get Scream? And he's like, well, I didn't have a lot of credits, you know? Uh, he mm-hmm. goes, I did do a commercial for a burger place, and, uh, and I was like uh, 12 or 13 years old, and, I, and my line in the burger place was, damn, that's a big-ass burger. And so Skeet Ulrich goes, wait a minute, you swore twice when you were 13? And, and, and it became this thing, so the whole, damn, that's a bit, that became, we said it a hundred <laughs> times. We said it a hundred oh, times during this. Like, so like any time, like, like when, when, in fact, when Jamie Kennedy was telling the hemorrhoid story, Skeet Ulrich, like in the middle of it goes, damn, that's a big ass hemorrhoid. You know, so it was stuff like, like <laughs> so the damn. So like afterwards, like when we were walking out, as we were walking out, everybody in the audience was going, damn, that was a good panel. You know, damn, it became this whole catchphrase. <laughs> and all of the pictures yeah. that I got signed, the three pictures that I got signed, the one from Skeet, the one from, Skeet, the one from Jamie and the one from Lee, all said in capital letters, Damn, that was a good ass panel, you know. So it was, it was cool. <laughs> that was fun. That's awesome. So, did you have fun on uh, asking the guy? Now, what's amazing is I didn't tell you the, the big question I wanted to ask those guys. Right. Do you remember the first big question I asked? And then you were like, "Oh my yeah. god, that's exactly." That's that was my number one question. <laughs> exactly. I'm which sorry. was who took a shit on yes. Christine's dashboard? Exactly. They don't say it. Exactly, as brother. Exactly. So I literally, I told because I got to Malcolm and I hung out a lot. He was on the podcast uh, last week. Malcolm, who played mm-hmm. Moochie, he's the one who gets crushed in the at the at the loading. Yeah. Oh, Moochie. Uh, oh, Moochie. He pulls <laughs> a knife. A lot of- yeah, there was a lot of things where I was like, I'm watching. I'm like, ah, oh, Moochie. Moochie, come on, Moochie. <laughs> but he, and he pulls a knife on the car, like that's gonna do something. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I got to know Malcolm a little, a lot over the weekend, and um, and so I told him, I'm like, I'm gonna ask you guys a question, so be ready. And it's just the, this is the first question I'm gonna ask, and I didn't tell you what it was, because uh, we didn't have we didn't have time to have a powwow beforehand because Ubers suck. Because you had you were uh, yeah you were, well it was you, raining and stuff it was so, raining you know. and shit so it was and so we didn't have a t- we didn't have time to sit down so we got up there and we're just riffing you and I were just riffing yeah which I mean we know what it is yeah we know we know what we're doing <laughs> we've only been doing this a little while so but I had no idea and so when I asked the question I said I have one big question to ask you guys which one of you assholes took a shit on the dashboard and you went that's exactly <laughs> what like you that's literally the one hit- question. <laughs> If and I could have just had that answered, I would have been like, and we can all leave. Let's and we go. did. And we did. And, and it was, and apparently it was Moochie. Apparently Moochie, they cut it out. Yeah. But apparently it was Moochie. And, and on top of that, Tash took a piss in the, in the gas tank. And we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I was 
there. Yeah, we weren't. We we didn't know. We, yeah, we didn't. I didn't think he would do that. But yeah. all right. So what else did you see? Because we're, we're running a little short here. What else did you do uh, after that? Uh, you saw some of the costume contest, right? And that was fun. Yeah, saw some of the costume contest, which... Um, if if anyone was there or anything, I did post it on the the Nick D podcast. Yeah, who won? I, yeah, and it was there was a there was a um oh my god what's the guy's name? Sh- Shaggy. 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 And so Scooby, it was a yeah. Shaggy and Scooby and actually Marnie, uh, a Marnie Shore. Uh, friend. Yes, Marnie Shore. Friend. She's of on the, the next. By the way, she's on the next episode. Sh- she is friends with that guy. Oh my god, is she? Yeah, we didn't. Yeah, I, I was not planned in any sense of the term. Yeah, that was uh, a friend of hers. They oh both, my God, uh, that's did amazing. high school theater. Of uh, course they together. did. Of course they did. He's a theater guy. Of course he was. <laughs> he was great. But he and had then... a, but he had a Shaggy, or he was Shaggy, and then he had a Scooby that, uh, like a puppet that he had right. in his arms. Right. And it would move and shake, and he was like, he would moving make, and shaking it and stuff. He, he, he would make Scooby scared and shake and bark and, and yeah. talk to him. And go, roar, 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 roar. It was. Great. It was. It was. Pretty, it was yeah. pretty good. So the the costume and contest. Did you did you go up to the vendor room? Did you see a lot of people up up there? Yeah, we did. Um, I brought Colin along, and he he bought a couple things. He mm-hmm. I forget. He bought a pin. He bought some pins, mm-hmm. and then he bought me because it was like a two for one thing. Yeah. Um, he found a VHS of Hackers. That oh he come got on! Me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So I was like, damn, too bad that's, Matthew Lillard isn't here. That's <laughs> so amazing. Awesome. That would have been great. That's so oh, awesome. Oh, I would have died. I would have been like, could I, you sign this? <laughs> I know you love that movie. I'm so glad you got that. That's so cool that you found that there. That's so cool. Well, yeah. we'll do it We'll do it again next year, Esmeralda. It's great. And, oh, for um, sure. And maybe we'll have more time. I was exceptionally busy this year. Uh, it was probably, in the 21 years that I've been doing it, it's probably that I was exhausted when I got home last night. Yeah. Well, that's great, though. It's yeah. great. And I got to meet a whole bunch of people and make friends and all kinds of cool stuff, and it was fun. And our podcast went really, really well. And I want to thank and everybody who came out. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. So, um, my dad's got a joke here. Mm-hmm. Wait, we haven't even said hello. Hold on a second. He's still waiting outside. <laughs> Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and Hi, I Carrie. love Nick's show. She, I gave her a flashback T-shirt. She's wearing it right now. Oh, lovely. Yeah, she's happy about that. All right, here's my dad has something to say. Oh, it's the best part of the week, baby. It's time to hear something funny. Here we go with your music intro. Ah! It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Yeah. What'd I say? It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. All right. Uh, so my dad is here. Hey, Dad, you ready to tell a joke? Yes? Okay. <laughs> here we go. I hear the First National Bank is looking for a new teller. I thought they just hired a new teller last week. Right, that's the one they're looking for. What? <laughs> so what the teller has gone MIA? I got it. Yeah, I guess that's it. I guess. <laughs> that was jokey, jokey, right. jokey time. It was a jokey, jokey, okay. jokey time. Nick's dad told a joke. Okay, yeah, he'll he'll do that again now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Ow! 
All right. Well, uh, by the way, Esmeralda, you brought up who the next guest is on the show. Mm-hmm. Marnie yeah. Shore will be here uh, from The Takeout, and we are going to uh, talk about all kinds of cool stuff. And she's uh, now become a horror film fanatic. Um, nice. And so she's catching up with all the horror movies. So we now do, at the beginning, even though we talk about food a lot for The Takeout, mm-hmm. uh, we always her segment always opens with, what has Marnie seen in the horror world lately? So we'll cover that, too, <laughs> which nice. is timely. Uh, and also, William Freed can pass away, Esmeralda. I know that you've seen The Exorcist, um, mm-hmm. and I, I paid tribute to him uh, at the beginning of the, uh, of the podcast, which is why we're, we're a little short on time here. Uh, but he was a legend. He directed uh, To Live and Die in L.A., The French Connection, uh, The Exorcist. Um, he did a, 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 a movie called Good Times, Esmeralda, with Sonny and Cher, oh. uh, which, is, which is weird. And he's also wow. from Chicago and got his start in the mailroom at WGN. Crazy. Isn't, isn't that crazy? So he passed away, so uh, rest in peace uh, to, to Bill Friedkin. Uh, my thanks to Dan Feinberg for talking TV and all kinds of other stuff. You want to be a sponsor? Sales at RadioMisfits.com. Leave a voicemail 24-7-773-417-6948. Drop us an email, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Jason Skaggs. Thanks to Ed. And rate and review us. Take the time to rate and review us on every platform uh, that we are available on. And next time again, Marnie Schur from The Takeout will join us. And uh, thank you, and we'll see you next time on the Nick D Podcast. <laughs>